Hello and welcome to episode 145 of the Mark and Me podcast. As always, I'm your host Mark. Joining me on today's episode, for me, is one of the most iconic characters that you'll ever find in the history of comedy on TV. It really is true. I'm joined by the amazing John Chalice, Boise himself from Only Fools and Horses. It's a great interview and I can't wait for you to hear it. But in true typical Mark and Me fashion, I always like to touch base and use a couple of minutes to talk about the previous episode. On episode 144, I was joined by Dominic Monaghan. We got to talk all about Lost. What an incredible TV series that was. Not only that, we talked about Lord of the Rings, which for me is one of the best trilogies of all time, and much more. And as always, the response was fantastic. So a huge thank you for everyone that took the time to listen and for all the amazing feedback that I received online. But today's completely different. Today is Boise himself, John Chalice. So I think the best thing to do is to get to mine and John's interview right away. So here's me and John talking all things TV. Thanks for taking the time to join me today on the Mark and Me podcast. Sure, no problem. What I wanted to do today is, there'll be a lot of fans tuning in, but what I wanted to do is take it back to the start. So briefly, what was it that made you, when you were growing up, want to become an actor? Ooh, uh, well, uh, I, I think um, I, I sort of felt more comfortable being other people than myself. I just, uh, I had a sort of facility for uh, mimicry, I suppose, you know, I could impersonate people including quite a lot of the masters at school and some of the boys, you know, which uh, was a great sort of defensive mechanism um, against the bullies and so on, because they never quite knew who they were talking to. And I was in all the school plays, too, so uh, it just seemed the most natural thing in the world to do, really, to be other people. I don't know why. Um, and I did a bit of rock and roll. I picked up the guitar, you know, in the late 50s, like a lot of kids. And uh, I had a little band. And so I, I I guess looking back, I was always going to be a performer, you know, or want to be a performer. But, but of course, when I left school, everybody sort of put me off it, including my parents, saying it was very, uh, uh, very insecure. Unsurprisingly, it is very insecure. There's no question about it. They wanted me to have a safe, steady job somewhere, like most parents. And... Um, I started working in uh, an estate agent's firm in Surrey, where uh, where my parents live and so on. But uh, I got so bored and uh, couldn't pay attention and so on. And uh, I was sacked after six months. <laughs> and I just um, I just sort of went off and potted off and did sort of odd jobs, delivering groceries and driving people around and so on. Because I, I had passed my driving test. It's about the only exam I ever passed in my life, really. And I... Um, and eventually sort of found a newspaper in W.H. Smith and it was advertising for a travelling children's theatre. And uh, I just, on a whim, I just went and uh, got interviewed by somebody and uh, and they said, well, you, you can start next week if you want to. And, uh, and I went off to Liverpool, uh, where this theatre was based, and I started life on the road, you know, in a, in a van playing lots of, uh, different characters and uh, plays like Pinocchio and uh, so on, and uh, in schools every day, every day, different school, different town. You know, and, uh, I loved it. I loved being on the road and uh, just, just, just sort of mucking about, really, and doing what I did in school. <laughs> Excuse me. And um, and, then, and then I just just went on to, to repertory and so on. You know, to the 
the usual path, I suppose, finished up at the West End of the Royal Shakespeare Company and then started doing the telly. So, uh, but it was, it's, it's ideal for someone who doesn't want to really work too hard for a living. <laughs> and, um, and like sort of mucking about and, uh, you know, pretending to be other people. That's, that was the attraction for me, really. So how did you win your parents over? At what point were they then taking you seriously? Because everyone must think, you know, parents' worst nightmares when their son turns around and says, I want to be an actor or a rock star. You know, they're probably thinking, Christ, we need you to be able to yeah. pay a mortgage, you know. Certainly, that's right, yes. I, well, I think uh, I, I just left home, really, at the age of about um, 18 and went on the road, as I say. And so they sort of had to accept it, I suppose, because um, I, didn't, I didn't go back. I didn't sort of want to go back, really. But, I, but of course, I, I did just sort of visit, but I never wanted to live there. I just liked being, I liked being nowhere in a lot of ways, you know. Like, I didn't live anywhere for years. So I was in uh, repertory theatres after that, and of course a different different town. You know, there was a spring rep, a summer rep, and a winter rep, and I finished out in the seaside and, and Wales and Scotland and all sorts of places. Uh, learning the craft, I suppose. But that, so there was a lot of work about the theatre those days. And I think they just sort of said, oh, well, nothing we can do about it, you know. Um, and, uh, and eventually uh, they realised that I think part of their the problem was, quite rightly, that I never took anything very seriously, and they were just worried that uh, I needed to do. I decided to do something, and it wasn't going to last very long. But uh, you know, I'd be adrift, as it were. But uh, I find it. I found it suited me very well. So, uh, and eventually, I finished up in West End theatres and the Royal Shakespeare Company, and so on, and then appeared on television. So, my mother particularly was uh, was delighted. You know, uh, my father never thought it was a proper job, I don't think. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but I think secretly he was, he was quite proud of, uh, you know, where I'd got to and so on. So. so with the success of obviously Only Fools and Horses and being one of the most loved TV shows of our generation, did your dad ever eat his humble pie and say, well, son, you proved me wrong? Or was he just always going to keep saying, yep, it's still not a proper job, even when you're on telly every week? No, I think he, he did eventually, very late on. Uh, he, uh, his my mother dragged him to see me in a play called Dirty Linen in, uh, in the West End, written by Tom Stoppard. And uh, it was one of the happiest things I ever did, I have to say. And, uh, and it suited him because uh, he was a civil servant and uh, very close to sort of um, special committees in the House of Commons and so on, and all the shenanigans that went on. And that's what this play was about. You know, very satirical play, and he saw me playing, you know, the leading role in this uh, a novel. You know, it was a novel, it was a novel, man. It was a little bluster, blustery type novel, and, <laughs> you know, and uh, he uh, he uh, apparently slid further and further down in his seat. He hardly ever been to the theatre, but eventually he finished up sitting upright, and uh, eventually he said, uh, he said, "I was so proud of you." You know, and, and I said, oh, thanks, Dad. Thanks very much. And uh, he immediately sort of walked out of the house and didn't come back <laughs> for about an afternoon. That's amazing. <laughs> it was very, he was one of those, one of those uh, people who's uh, um, a generational thing, I think. Uh, he was a Yorkshireman. And uh, and I don't think he had, um, you know, a great deal of love at, at, his, at his home. Uh, and uh, I think it sort of rebounded, you know. 
but it was a long, long time ago now, talking about the 50s, 60s, early 60s, you know, uh, and, you know, when you you were a kid at home in those days, you did something wrong, you got uh, you got thrashed for it, Yeah. You know? um, but you accepted it, and the, and the same happened at school, at preparatory schools and so on, same thing happened, and, but you just accepted it as part of life, and uh, thought, oh, I don't want to do that again then, that hurt, you know, <laughs> you just got on with it. So, but um, so I I had a completely different temperament to him. He was a very hard worker, you know, and an organizer. And I was completely the reverse of that. I just he just saw me as a dilettante, as someone who just like mucking about, you know, which is true. I did. Yeah. And I, I, I you know, temperamentally very, 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 uh, very different. But anyway, I think I think he was quite proud, as far as I can uh, work out. Anyway. And I'm sure you get this question a lot, but how did the part of Boise become your life? Was it a case of going to an audition? Did someone? Did you have a, a manager that could find you the role, or did, were you spotted, or how did how did it come about? Um, I, I, well, it really happened because I was spotted by uh, the original producer of Only Fools and Horses, who's a man called Ray Butt, who uh, was a big friend of John Sullivan. That's how John Sullivan got uh, got his stuff on. And um, I was I was in America actually at the time, and uh, I suddenly got a call from my agent saying that he'd been on the phone and he had a part in a in a series called Citizen Smith, which starred uh, Robert Lindsay. It was about uh, Wolfie and independence for tooting, and uh, he was the sort of Che Guevara of, uh, of South London, I suppose. John Sullivan's first series, and. Uh, he said, would I come and play this sort of um, bent copper? So uh, I did. I played a lot of a lot of copper. Some of them bent, some of them weren't uh, in those days. And, uh, and he liked it. John Sullivan came up to me afterwards and said, you see, I really like what you've done with that. Because I, I borrowed uh, the characteristics of somebody I used to know in a pub uh, locally. And uh, particularly the voice, you know, yeah. and this very pedantic way of talking, you see. So I, I just sort of inflicted that on this poor character, and, uh, and nobody said anything, so I just got on with it. But uh, John Sullivan said, he said, I really like that. He said, I'm going to try and use that again one day. And I went, oh, well, thank you very much, and I thought I'd never it. But about a year later, um, <laughs> strangely, I was at the National Theatre by this time, sort of trying to become a proper actor. And... <laughs> And uh, I got this script through the door for a new comedy series called Only Fools and Horses. Um, so it's a lucky thing that I uh, I did that episode of Citizen Smith um, because it led to you know this little cameo role as it was then in Only Fools and Horses, and then and, and it grew from there really all through the eighties. Uh, very lucky, right place, right time. I suppose you know. And I know it must be hard because you are Boise and you are part of the production, but did you ever, even on set, think it was ever going to become this global phenomenon which it is? Because surely, as successful as it is, no one could have ever anticipated just how big it got. No, absolutely not. I, you know, we started in 1981, and uh, it wasn't really until the mid-80s that you suddenly realised that it, it started meaning so much to people. Because of the reaction, you know, not not just um, critically, but but also people in the street are coming up to you saying how much they're enjoying the show and they like the character and, and so on. 
And I remember us uh, all talking about it, saying, uh, because we'd, we'd all been in series up to a point up to then, but never had this reaction, you know, so it was considered very special, really. Um, but no idea, no, absolutely no idea what was going to happen. And uh, we all thought it had come to an end, you know, sort of 96 and so on, so well, that's it, but we've had a good run. And... Uh, and then blew me down. It came back again in uh, 2001, and there were three more specials, and uh, the whole thing turned around, and they lost all their uh, lost all their money and so on. And so we all got back together again. Uh, and uh, and, that, and that, that was that was the end of it. But I mean, uh, if you think that's 20 years, 1981 to 2001, we didn't do shows in some years um, because John John didn't write them really. We did a lot of specials. Should come out at Christmas and so on, uh, but it, uh, but it's still going. I mean, I can't believe it. You know, I mean, here we are, what forty years later, over forty years later, and it's still on every day. You know, and I'm still getting this, uh, letters from people and presents. People send presents, and uh, I mean, it's just extraordinary, really. Um, but the, but the main thing really is that it means so much to people. It's helped uh, all through this terrible year where everybody's had. A lot of messages from people saying it's helped, really helped me through this difficult time, you know. Um, and thank God for it and all that. And you think, my God, at least, you know, you've done something valuable, but not just entertain people, but to really help along, you know, which is, which is a terrific thing you know, for me, anyway. And at the moment, obviously, you've just finished production on Boise in Belgrade. Now, I've seen the trailer and. <laughs> It, it's it's insane. I, I think the, you know the fact that you go there and you're like a god. You're like a king when you arrive, and you know the people there. It's their most watched TV show. Uh, I I don't even know how you get your head around that being there and feeling like royalty in their country. It just must be absolutely surreal the whole time. Well, yes, it was surreal. You know, it it, it, uh, it happened quite. I can't. It's quite. Uh, un- out of left field, I was, I was signing copies of my autobiography uh, somewhere, Peterborough or somewhere, and uh, and a, a television crew turned up from Serbia, you know, and somebody said, a crew from Serbia, I went, yeah, right, I thought it was a wind-up, but uh, they interviewed me and they uh, they filmed me sort of signing the books and so on, and they told me how popular the show was out in that part of the world. I went, what? Well, I, you know, I knew all over the world, you know, we get the lens from people and send uh, photographs to, to people. So it's quite popular, but there, uh, they're fanatical about it. Uh, and uh, they said, you must come and appear on our television show. And, uh, and I went, what? Well, anyway, I did, because I'm a great one for trying new things, you know. And uh, I found out that it was, it was just, uh, people just loved it. And, and also the fact that, during the terrible wars they had with each other, um, you know, what used to be Yugoslavia, you know, Croatia and Bosnia and all that, you know, it's just very complicated for us to understand. But uh, it was a terrible time. It's a civil war, really. Um, and uh, the host of the television show said, you know, he said something about only fools and horses. He said it was the only thing that made us smile during these wars. Wow. And I went, what? You know, it was such a poignant thing to say. 
And I just thought of all these poor people in their bombed out buildings, you know, not their fault, there was a bloody war on, you know. Uh, watching us lot mucking about, you know, with their, with their subtitles, laughing and clapping each other on the back and then going out and sort of fighting a war. And I thought, that's ridiculous. You know, <laughs> and I thought, wouldn't it be wonderful if um, if, it, if you could sort of bottle that reaction, that laughter, and take a swig of it if yeah. you felt upset about something, and uh, the world would be a much better place, you know. Uh, I know it's pie in the sky, and it's hopelessly romantic, but I just thought, God, wouldn't it be wonderful? Um, and um, so I came back with that sort of feeling, I mean, I... I don't know how you feel. Like, you're just uh, amazed. And I was out doing my um, one-man show, and, and uh, a guy turned up to see it who was from that part of the world, actually Montenegro, um, not um, not Serbia. But he was a big fan of the show, and uh, we met up, and uh, he suggested that I, I go out there. And I said, well, I've been out there. You know, He said, no, 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 we, we must go, and we must explore, and we must perhaps try and find out why he's so popular out there, you know, and uh, we will do a documentary. <laughs> what? I've never done a documentary in my life. And he said, no, but it, it's great. You will, you know, people will love you and uh, and we can talk and we can go to so many places. And he was a real entrepreneur, you know. Um, and uh, we finished up, <laughs> finished up going out there and um, learning an awful lot about the history of that part of the world. You know, it's fascinating. It's called the Crossroads of Europe and... Uh, you know, all the wars that have happened over the centuries and uh, gone backwards and forwards over this part of the world. You know, it's no wonder, you know, it's also split, you know. Uh, but they love the only fools and horses. And uh, as, as we see in the, uh, in the documentary, you know, people are just over the moon about it. And uh, I went to a royal palace and the British embassy and, uh, you know, um, Red Star Belgrade Football Club, which I'd always... I always had a thrill about, you know, for some reason that, that since I was a kid, and uh, there it was, and uh, and the whole of Belgrade, you know, the whole the whole history of it um, throughout the centuries, and um, the tabernacle they'd been trying to build three times they'd had to go building this, and each time they nearly finished, uh, another lot came in and invaded them, you know, whether it was the Ottomans, the Russians. And, you know, the, the Nazis, whoever it was, said, right, stop building that. And, uh, they've been trying to finish it since, since the early 30s. Crazy. <laughs> and this is their third their third go at it, and uh, it was full of scaffolding and mosaic, and they were determined, and there's determination of those people to to finish this uh, this church. was just, And they have now finished it. And, uh, and it was a great... I think it comes out in the uh, documentary of what I remember, the, uh, the pastor just sort of showing me around the place. And he said three times we have, we have tried to rebuild this, but this time next year, and I said, we'll be millionaires. He said, no, we will have finished. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so there's that connection with this show all through the society there, you know, top to bottom, just like there is in England. And, uh, I just find it all fascinating, and uh, and there were plans for us to perhaps go out there again, uh, but of course it's all been kiboshed by the you know by the pandemic. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know we could we could uh, hopefully we can we can get out there again and uh, do some more 
I think, because it's, uh, you know, they say, you must come back, you must, in fact, I got, uh, uh, you know, I got all sorts of offers to, to go back, you know, uh, and I think, oh, well, I think it would be really nice, you know, I think it really would, because it's fascinating. So there we are. There it is. I mean, I, I, as I say, I, this documentary, um, Boise in Belgrade, I thought, wow, the world is my oyster. I thought to myself, oh, Boise in, I don't know, Kathmandu, Boise anywhere you go, you know. Um, but I, uh, I didn't know how it was going to turn out. But uh, people who've seen it have said, uh, you know, it is amusing, uh, but also very interesting too, which is great that it appeals on, uh, on more than one level. You know, it's not just a jolly joke, but I mean, you'll see, uh, you'll see murals of uh, Del Boy and Rodney, you know, and uh, sort of some of the shattered buildings and, uh, but, but also, you know, there's a, uh, you know, serious stuff about it and uh, about what happened to this, uh, this tabernacle, and Sabah, you know, and I'd love to go out there and see that dish and, uh, Anyway, hopefully next, uh, hopefully this for next year it'll have to be now. I think. Yeah. So should I survive? I'll. Uh... Anyway, I hope people enjoy it. I can't wait to see it, and it sounds interesting. I can't wait to see the history side of it, but also the humour, and just, just, it just be. I just can't wait to see it from start to finish. Actually, good, thank you. One thing I do on this podcast, John, is um, I make it quite unique by asking the guest that's on on the spot to choose the outro music. So every episode that's been on, I've had actors on here like Anthony Hopkins, Mads Mikkelsen, all various different guests, and each person gets to choose yeah. a piece of music, which is the outro. So. I'm going to put you on the spot. Can you think of a song? It can be by a group, a band, or just a, a piece of music that, when I ask the question, comes straight to your heart, that means a lot to you, that you would like to be the outro music for your episode. Oh, that's very nice. Uh, yeah, I... Um, I, oh, I, I was under that White Snake number, Here I Go Again, you know, David Coverdale's... Perfect. Brilliant sort of anthem. Uh, or... The show must go on. It'd be good, wouldn't it? Um, now, oh no! Well, I, I think um, I think here I go again is the one. Yeah, uh, really, because it's uh, the show go on. The show must go on is a bit of a bit of a long story to get to a big finish, and uh, here I go again is uh, pretty immediate. So I think that's the one, probably. Perfect. I want to thank you for your time today, uh, for coming on the podcast. Um, I'm a huge, huge fan of your work, and um, I, I did meet you a few years ago at a Comic-Con for MCM in Birmingham many years ago. But uh, yeah. I, I look forward to, obviously, the world going back to normal and hopefully being able to have a beer with you one day and, you know, this series doing really well and you doing a Boise in Belgrade again or Boise in New York or Boise in Australia. I, ho I hope it all opens up for you. <laughs> Boise on the moon. Yeah, that would be good. <laughs> You're no relation to Adam Wood yet, are you? I'm not, no. I get that all the time. I tell some people when I get bored that he's my yeah. cousin, but no. no he's... I, just, I, just thought, I, must, uh, I must ask, because I worked with, uh, with Adam at uh, the National Theatre 100 years ago. So, yeah, uh, but um, yeah, thank, thank you again. <laughs> Thanks for your time. I do really appreciate it. Not um, at all, Mark. Have a, have a great rest That's of the day luck. as well. Thank you, and you. Take care. Yeah, bye. So there it is, there's my interview with me and the absolute legend John Chalice himself. An amazing guy, so many stories and you know there's so many more to be told. 
I absolutely love the interview and really, really, really respect the guy. So it's an amazing time to have him on and thanks so much for making it happen. I hope you've all enjoyed the interview at home today. And as you heard on today's interview, we're all talking about Boise and Belgrade. Go and check it out now. I've now been lucky enough to see it. It's fantastic, an amazing series. You will not regret it. Go and check it out and then let me know on social media what you thought. It's so, so good. Thanks again for everyone that's tuned in today and listened to today's episode. It's been a great blast. And if you love today's podcast, please share it on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. I ask it on every episode, but you have no idea just how much and how important it is for you to share these episodes. It means that a whole new audience gets to hear these podcasts, these interviews and jump on board. And that's what I need more than ever. Also, I do have a Patreon page. You can jump onto markandme.com. On there, there's links to Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. And as I just said, the Patreon page is there. You can go in and if you're new to Patreon and don't know what it's about, it's a way of saying thank you and supporting the podcast. You can give me as little as £1 a month to say thank you for a minimum of eight episodes currently. But not only that, I want to recognise and thank you for all the support. So I'm giving away some amazing prizes each month from Last Exit to Nowhere t-shirts, from the amazing Vice Press posters and even more. I've got so much coming up and honestly it means a massive deal for me and means all the money that goes into the podcast that I get from you guys means more and more episodes so it really is a win-win and I can't do it without the support on Patreon. So if you're listening now and you feel I'm worth just the price of a Mars bar or a can of coke, throw it my way and honestly it goes a long way. I'll be back in only a few days time. As you know with Mark and me, it's absolutely crazy right now. It's so busy, but there's loads of good stuff coming your way. So I'll be back with a brand new episode in a few days time. But until that moment, stay safe, look after yourself, be nice to each other. It's a tough world out there at the moment. Be loving and I'll see you all soon. Walk